So I want to give a, a shout out to the campuses, both the uh, Kennedy campus and the UD campus. We've been kind of going through the Gospel of John and we've been looking at the signs. And I want to ask you a question as we get started this weekend. Here's the question I want you to consider. Have you ever had anyone do you a big favor? Like, I mean, a fairly significant favor. And what was your reaction to them helping you? I mean, in a sense that they helped you in a big way. What was, uh, what was your reaction? Some of you basically immediately thought about how am I going to even the score with them? How am I going to pay them back? How am I going to make sure that we're equal? They've done something huge for me. Now I have to figure out how I'm going to get things even on our score. We, we, some of us can, cannot stand living with that, that balance being, you know, that scale being out of balance. So when somebody does something nice or helpful for us, we immediately want to feel like, we feel like, how am I going to pay them back? How am I going to pay them back? For some of us, it's really hard to receive grace, to just have somebody say, hey, I just want to help you, and I don't want anything from you. It's hard for us to do that because we feel like we don't want to be in anyone's debt, right? Uh, most of us don't want to be in anyone. Well, there are some folks that just don't mind you doing everything for them, and <laughs> that's, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those of you that say, when somebody does something for me, I immediately want to f- figure out how I can help them and pay them back. Because I don't feel, I don't like it to be in debt to anyone. But let me ask you this. What if you were in a debt, you had a debt that you could never repay? It was beyond your capacity. And that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were all born in debt. We were all born under sin. We were slaves to sin. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We had a debt that we could never pay. It was so deep. It was beyond our ability. Someone else had to come and pay the debt for us. And the Bible calls this grace. And that's what we're going to look at this week. And we're going to look at grace this weekend. The gospel's all about grace. And here's the, here's the thing. If you do not understand the reality of, you really don't understand the gospel if you uh, feel, fail to grasp this concept of grace. You really don't understand the gospel. Now we've been looking at the signs of the Messiah. We've been going through the gospel of John. And John says, I could have put a bunch of these signs in. I chose seven. And these signs are for a purpose that you might know who Jesus is and that why he came and that knowing why he came and who he is, you'll believe in him. And by believing in him, you'll have life. Essentially, I want you to believe in Jesus. And here's here's good reasons why. That's essentially what he's doing. So we looked a couple weeks ago where he turned water into wine at a wedding. We, turned, we looked uh, last weekend where a man came to him and his son was on his deathbed. And Jesus says, uh, you go where your son will be healed. So it was uh, Jesus healed him, um, you know, at a distance. He didn't have to be right there to heal him. This weekend we're going to look at... Um, He's going to heal a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. So if you'd like to follow along, and I hope you will, John chapter 5, it's on page 813. If, if you're interested, there's a chair Bible, and on page 5, or excuse me, 813, uh, John chapter 5. <coughs> and I'll read uh, through that a, few, a number of verses so we can get the whole story. And then we'll make some observations about grace, all right? John chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem 
for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool of, <coughs> the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? What an odd question. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. I'm pretty sure everyone got there ahead of him. Um, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, (coughs) excuse me, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said a a thing like that, such as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. The man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, He called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. There's a number of people that say Jesus never claimed to be God or equal with God. Well, very clearly, the Jewish leaders thought so here, right? So it's very clear that that's what's going on. So our passage gives us four important principles of grace. And we want to look at each one because it's important for us to understand grace if we're ever going to receive grace, truly receive grace. Some Some of us are maybe you've never come to a place where you know that you need grace, that you need help, okay? And so here's the things we learn from this story. The first one is grace is given to those who know they need it. Grace is given to those who know they need it. It says this man was paralyzed for 38 years. Now go back 38 years in your life and think about where you were, what age were you, where were you living, what was life like 38 years ago. Some of you are saying, I don't know because I wasn't alive, right? Some of you, you, weren't, you haven't even been alive 38 years, let alone go back to think what it, what it was like. But this man for 38 years was lame. Not just lame, he was, uh, he was paralyzed. Now, he needed somebody to carry him. He knew that he couldn't get there himself. He was paralyzed. There was no way he could do it. So he knew he, knew he needed help. Apparently, the legend of the pool was this. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know if it'll help, but we'll try anything once, right? The legend of the pool was this, that the waters would bubble or be troubled somehow, and Many believed that it was an angel of some supernatural force. So the first person who was able to get to the pool and be in the pool was healed. That apparently was the legend. Now, John, by giving us this legend, is not saying that's really what happened or anything. He's just telling us, he's helping us understand why the pool was so important, why so many 
uh, sick people were laying around this pool. It was a place for them to potentially get healed. So John is only reporting what uh, the legend was at that point. The main point for us to see is this man knew he needed help. And left to himself, he had no hope of healing. He said, there's no way I get down there. When the waters are troubled, I can't get there. There's no, there everybody beats me. And the point for us is this. Unless you come to a place where you see your desperate need, your utter, utter inability to save yourself, you will remain in your sins. You see, the problem is most people don't think they're that bad. Most people think, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not so bad. I mean, I'm not 100%, but I'm in the 90s, right? Uh, but here's the problem. The Bible says that God is completely holy and that we are sinful and th- that God cannot look on sin. So no matter how good we might think we are, God is absolutely, completely pure. He's holy. And He cannot be contaminated by our presence. There, we're so contaminated, there's nothing that can cleanse us. Left to ourselves, we bear the stains of sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And that doesn't just mean physical death. That means eternal separation from God. Because God will not look upon sin. So this is a real problem. Now you say, well, this, this seems like, this seems doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, so what if we're just a little sinful? God can get over it. I mean, after all, He's God, right? Alright, so the next time that you go in for a, a medical procedure and the nurse says to you, I'm going to give you an injection, it's 90% good. There's a like 10% contamination. Do you want that needle? Do you want that injection? No, probably not. There's a, there, it makes a big deal of difference in a lot of ways. And so essentially what he's saying here, what the man is understanding is, I'm in trouble. And if you are here and you never come to a place where you're, you don't see your spiritual need and you don't see you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Whether you know it or not, you're in trouble. In fact, the harshest, some of the harshest words that Jesus had were people who didn't think they were in trouble. They thought they were pretty good. They came to Jesus. They, Jesus says, they will come to me. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, many will come to me and say, we cast out demons. We did this. What are they saying? We're not so bad. We got things going. We're rolling for you. And Jesus says, depart from me. You don't even know me. I don't even know you. Essentially what he's saying is, you know, you think you're okay, but you're not. So grace comes to those who understand there's desperate need. Secondly, grace is a gift to be accepted and received by faith. What did this man bring to the table? Did Jesus say, what a good-looking man? I don't think he was. I mean, I don't think you could be paralyzed for 38 years and win a beauty contest. I mean, frankly, you, you pre, he probably is pretty, pretty messed up, right? He had absolutely nothing. Jesus asks him a very interesting question. He says, do you want to be healed? I find that question very intriguing. I mean, is Jesus taunting him? You know, like, do you really want to get healed? Or how much? You know, 100%, 50%. <coughs> It's interesting. He did nothing to deserve Jesus' help. He was in a helpless and hopeless situation. 
And, and, and that's interesting because Jesus, uh, we're told, Paul says this. These are, this is from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done or we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I was raised in a tradition, and it, it wasn't probably the tradition's fault as much as it was my fault because I'm a sinner, where I thought I just have to be better than half the people on, you know, half the people in this world, or I have to do certain things and I'll be okay. And essentially what it came down to was I thought I could self-save myself. I thought I could save myself. And I came to a place where I realized that I needed somebody to help me, that I was really spiritually paralyzed. And I, I, when that hit me, I really, this was the passage that, that, that was shared with me. And I realized for the first time in my life, I thought I was okay. And I realized I was spiritually paralyzed. I realized I was laying by the pool and I couldn't get in. I couldn't get cleansed. And I needed somebody to help me. And I needed somebody to rescue me. And I realized that I needed grace. The man was in a helpless and hopeless situation. He couldn't move himself, let alone heal himself. He needed somebody to come and rescue him. <coughs> By the way, the man has little or no faith. I mean, we talked about that last weekend. We talked about how much faith do you need to have. This man has no faith, virtually no faith. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. When the religious leaders come to him and say, well, who healed you? He says, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. He was trusting in the superstition of the rustling waters. He thought that Jesus was going to push him into the waters. And that he would be healed from that. He didn't even know who Jesus was. In, in fact, in a moment, you're going to see that he basically throws Jesus under the bus to the religious leaders. You know, so this is not a man who has got a rich and robust faith. He has no faith at all. Virtually. It was all grace. It was all grace. His faith didn't cause his healing. Jesus just healed him. Flat out, Right? Now, here's what I think. And this is why I think Jesus asked this man this question, do you want to be healed? And it's really, I think, a significant question when you start to think about it. I think the man thought his biggest need was to be physically healed. He thought, the biggest issue I have in my life, the thing that will make my life the best, the thing that will fix me, the thing that will make my life good, is that if I got healed... And I think Jesus is challenging him on that fact. I think Jesus is really saying, is that really what you need to be healed? Do you really just need to be unparalyzed? Is that it? If you got up and were able to walk around today, your life's going to be fixed and better and just great? I think that's essentially what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is trying to get the man to see is you need something more than a physical healing. You need a spiritual rebirth. Because one day, even if I heal you and you pick up your mat and you walk away and you were paralyzed for 38 years and you get up and you walk, you're still going to die. You're still going to die. So what then? What do you do then? And I think that's the point. I believe Jesus wanted to see him to see his biggest need. That it wasn't his physical healing, but it was his need for eternal spiritual life. That's what he needed more than anything. But I don't think he saw that because it's very interesting. It's very obvious that the 
the, the, the need that was screaming right before his eyes every day, he was, he was paralyzed. Now, we, we all do the same thing, maybe not to that extent, but we're all looking for what we think we need the most in life. Some of us think we need a relationship with a, a, a person. Some of us need, think we need to have a family. Some of us think we need to have maybe healing. I don't know. Maybe some of us feel like we need to be, have some sort of a, uh, uh, economic status. There's something that we feel that if we had that, we would be healed. Our life would make, would be there. We, we would, we, we, we'd have it. And we'd be happy. We'd find purpose. We'd find meaning. It's what our life is all about. It's our pursuit. We say, if I can just have this. And that's what this man was saying. If I could just be healed. She says, well, you'll be healed. The jury's out whether you're going to find that spiritual healing. So the question I want to ask you this weekend, both here and the UD campus, at the Kennedy campus, wherever you are, I want to ask you this question. What will make you well? What is it that you're pursuing? What do you think will make you well? What will fix you? What will make you happy? What is it that your eyes are so focused on that you say, I just have to have this. And Jesus comes to you this weekend and says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Jesus is all about giving us what we really need not what we often think we need. And what I'm suggesting is that you do some self-examination this weekend and say, what is it that I'm pursuing so hard that I think is more important than having a right standing, a right relationship with the God of the universe that will last forever and to know Jesus as Savior? What is more important than that? And what am I... What am I doing in my life? What am I looking for in my life that's going to jeopardize that? What am I willing to go after and in spite of having that and knowing that? Number three, grace is not found by keeping rules, following regulations, or practicing religion. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. Now, you would have thought that the religious leaders would say, Cool. Great job. <laughs> Wonderful. God is certainly power his presence his powerful presence is in you. We see that. But that's not what happened. Jesus tried to help them understand who he was. Notice what he says. He says my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders notice they tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. You say, how in the world? How in the world do you do that? For for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Now, see, they clearly understood what he was claiming. He was claiming equality with God, but they were so caught up in their religion and their rules and their regu- regulations, they were so caught up in that, they missed. The obvious thing that who can do this? Who can heal a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years? Who has ever done that? And Jesus has given them a walking example. I mean, it's not a, it's not a accident that he bumps into the religious leaders carrying his mat. <laughs> That's not an accident. Jesus, the, the point, the whole point of that is here's the guy they know was, was lame. They didn't even ask, who are you? They knew who he was. 
What's the question they ask? What are you doing walking around with that mat? They used to lay on all the time. Right? Right before their eyes. And what, what, why can't they see that? And it's because they're caught up in rules, regulations, and ritual. How many people this weekend in this community and all around America and around the world will go to church? They'll say prayers. They'll recite. They'll sit under a, a sermon. Uh, they'll sing songs and miss the point. They'll miss the point. They'll miss the, the person. Their tradition was so strong they overlooked the healing <coughs> question. The healer and the Savior. Maybe they should have considered that only God could do this. There was something to his words. Now, notice she says, my father. He doesn't say, the father of everyone. Jesus is saying something that our modern politically correct world doesn't want to hear. You know, the modern politically correct world wants us to say that God is the father of all mankind. To some extent, I get that. Jesus is clearly saying, he ain't your father. He's my father. But he ain't your father. And so he's putting, he's giving and dividing here. He's saying he and the father have this one-of-a-kind relationship. We also notice that Jesus tells us that our father continues to sustain and restore the world. He never stops. He never takes a day off. You know, we have to have to take a day off. We have to take holidays. Some of us should take a holiday and some of us should take a day off because you're not. And you're burning yourself out. That's a whole other sermon. That's a whole other discussion. But um, God doesn't take a day off. You're never going to catch God on a holiday. You're never going to go to God and say, God, you know, I have this issue. I need you. And God says, I'm sorry. Could you catch me on Monday? I take today off. You know? He never takes a day off. Aren't you glad that you can catch God anytime? He's never on vacation. You'll never find Him taking His day off. He's always there for us, ready, willing, and able. <laughs> so the question is, how is it possible to be so completely controlled by the rules, regulations, and religion that you overlook the Savior? And yet, this is going to take place and is taking place all over the world on a regular basis by Christians. By people who would staunchly say, I'm a Christian. Okay? Religion will keep you from the Savior. Religion seeks to self-save. It basically says, religion says, I've, I believe enough. I pray enough. I give enough. I do enough. Um, I serve enough. Um, <coughs> I stopped doing this and I started doing this. And so it's all about what I've done. It's all about what I'm doing. That's what religion is. In the end, what we're really saying is, if we have this mindset is, I really don't need a Savior. I can save myself. And some people just can't receive grace. And that's why I ask you that first question. When God comes to you and says to you, you can't not save yourself. You need a Savior. You are absolutely helpless and hopeless. You are drowning. And unless you come to a place where you see your desperate need, I can't, I won't save you. 
And some of you are saying, some maybe men, saying, I don't like it when, I, when, I, when somebody has to help me. It's just a sign of weakness. Absolutely! You are weak. That's the point. If you don't understand that you're weak spiritually, that you're sinful, that you're helpless and hopeless, you'll never find salvation. It'll never come. It'll never come. It will not come to those who think, I can do this. Grace can it can't be earned. It can't be repaid. Grace isn't deserved. It's a gift that God gives to people who desperately say, I desperately need a Savior, and you're my only hope. And unless you come to that place, you'll never receive grace. If you want to continually say, I'm going to do my part, I'm going to do enough, I'm going to... You don't understand grace. Religion, rules, and regulations will drive you from grace. Here's the last thing we want to talk about. Grace changes everything for eternity. Grace changes everything for eternity. (laughs) When God gives us the new birth, we walk in the newness of life both now and forever. And that's the point that Jesus was really trying to get this man to see. I can heal you physically or I can heal you spiritually. I can actually do both. What's more important to you? To the man, for the man, at at least from the storyline, physical healing was tops on his list. Now, the healing of the man is quite spectacular. Here he is, he's paralyzed for 38 years. <coughs> he's healed by Jesus, and after he's healed, he immediately enters into physical therapy. No, he doesn't, okay? Are you paying attention? No, he doesn't enter into physical therapy. He gets up and he begins to walk, probably without a limp, probably carrying his, he's carrying his mat, he immediately is healed. Now, can you imagine? It's not just a miracle that he can get up and walk. It's not like he... This is not... We're not talking about a man who had a limp. We're not talking about a man who had a bum leg. We're talking about a man who was paralyzed. And he had been paralyzed for 38 years. If you were paralyzed for 38 years and you started to get feeling in your legs or whatever part you're paralyzed in, prevented you from walking... The first thing it would say is, okay, we're going to have to go through a lot of physical therapy. There's no physical therapy. He got up and he started walking. That's part of the miracle. Immediately, completely healed. Now, he probably had walked at some time because if he, if this was a condition from birth, they probably, <coughs> probably would have said it. Probably said he was paralyzed from birth. Who knows how he got paralyzed, but somehow he was paralyzed. Here's the point. This man received a healing, the healing, healing grace, but he, but he, we don't know if he received saving grace. That's the part of the story we don't know. And the story's left open so that we can ask ourselves, where am I? How much heal, what, what kind of healing are we asking from Jesus? What kind of healing am I asking from Jesus? Am I asking to heal me from this, to give me this or whatever? It, it, or am I looking for that ultimate healing that he can give? What am I looking for? Now, it's interesting because we're told, this is one of those passages where you could have a really nice theological debate about is sin the... Uh, does our sin cause sickness or, you know, this man's situation, right? Because we're told that his paralyzed condition was a result of sin. Very clearly here. 
Jesus tells him to go and sin no more or something worse would happen. In other words, the implication is that he sinned and that caused his current situation for 38 years. Don't know what it was. But Jesus is saying, your actions, your sinful actions brought this on you. Your sinful behavior brought this paralytic condition to you. Now, let's be very careful. And I'm going to use, I'm going to read this so that it's clear, because here's where we're at. There are some people that would say, every time that a person is sick, it is, a direct, it is directly tied to sin. And that is not what Scripture says. Now, in this case, it is. But it's not always. Here's the point. The teaching of Jesus uh, about the relation of sin and sickness is complex. Jesus tells us clearly that not all sickness is tied to sin. Go to John. You don't have time now, but John 9, 1. uh, Jesus clearly says there that the sickness there was not tied to sin. But... (coughs) Other times, like this one, Jesus clearly shows us that sin brought this man's condition. Verse 14. So the point is, sometimes sin will cause sickness, but not always. The book of Job is a perfect example of that. His friends kept saying, how did you sin? What did you do? What Something you did caused this. And Job says, no, I didn't do anything. And God at the end says, no. Well, he says at the beginning, there's no one more righteous than Job. It wasn't because he did anything wrong that that came on him. So scripture is kind of, it's a complex thing. Sometimes our sin will lead to sickness. In fact, uh, the, it, I'm pointing over here because this is where we generally have the communion table. But essentially, um, when uh, at the communion, and Paul says, some of you, because you mistreat the, the Lord's table, some of you are sick. And some of you have even died because you're mocking the Lord's table. Well, there's a clear illustration that uh, your sin can lead to not only sickness, but death. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 11. So sometimes your sin leads to uh, sickness, but other times, Jesus says, there's no real relationship. In fact, he says, this... Uh, sickness, this thing came upon him so the glory of God could be revealed. It had nothing to do with a man's sin. But the interesting thing is the man, basically, when he meets the religious leaders and he's confronted with them about, why are you carrying that mat? It's the Sabbath. You should know better. The man basically rats Jesus out. And Jesus has a conversation and he says, go and sin no more. And immediately he meets the religious leaders and he says, oh, by the way, I know who that guy is now. Yeah, it's Jesus over here. Now, here's the point. We don't know how it ended with this man. Sure, he was physical, physically healed. But we know one thing about this man today. He's physically dead. He's been dead for over 2,000 years. The question is, is he spiritually alive? You see, and that's really what Jesus, when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? That's the point Jesus was trying to say. You know, what, I can heal you physically, but that's really solving a, a short-term, that's a short-term solution to the real issue you have. The real issue you have is uh, you have a sin problem, and if you want to live forever, I can take care of that too. Now, we don't know what this man does. The, 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 the jury is out. The information isn't there. The question is, Where are you? 
Because that's what John wants to know. John wants to know, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to find the forgiveness and freedom that only Jesus can offer? Do you want that? And so, we could ask, (coughs) did this man find faith in Jesus? Did he find this spiritual healing? And that would be an interesting thing to know. But a more interesting thing to know is, will you? Will you? And that's where John's going. So the question we close with is this. Do you know him? Are you bound up with tradition, rules, and regulations? So much so that you can't possibly trust Jesus. Are you more interested in being healed physically than saved? Are you, have you found the spiritual healing that only He can give? Are you in a place right now where you can say, like the man, I have no one. I have no one to help me. Have you come to your place of need and say, unless somebody comes and saves me, I'm dead. That somebody has come and it's Jesus. He's come from heaven to earth as a rescue party of one, not just to heal you physically, but to heal you spiritually. And really, that's essentially why he came. He didn't heal everyone that he could have. That was a, the healing was a sign to who he was. So that people would believe in him so that they could have their sins forgiven. So where are you at? John John would say to you this weekend, do you want to be healed? So what is it in your life that you say, I need this to be healed? If it's anything other than a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, the Savior, then you really have your sights set way too low. The healing you need is the healing that only he can bring. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. And so, Father, uh, we thank you for this story from John. We pray that uh, we would see and examine our own hearts and allow your Spirit to move in our hearts to see what it is that we really need. What is it that is, uh, do we want to be healed and what does that mean? Maybe that takes on a new light this weekend for us. It helps us to see that our real need isn't a physical need. It's not a relationship need. It's, it's not a financial need. It's a spiritual need. It's a sin problem. <coughs> a problem that only you can handle. And Father, thank you that when we come to you through Jesus Christ... And we receive the grace that you offer to us freely, that we don't deserve, that we could never repay, that we completely trust in you, we find life, we find healing, we find eternity. I pray that everyone in this room would receive that freedom and forgiveness that only you can offer, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.